0: 10. Matthew 10, 40, a remarkable words of Jesus. Listen to this. This goes for anyone that serves God, but think of this. He who receives you receives me, talking, of course, as followers, as disciples. If they receive you, they will have received me. And he who receives me, Christ, receives the one who sent me, the Father. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, my follower, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Now, let's ask ourselves, has Jesus Christ given gifted men to the church? He gave apostles, prophets, pastor teachers, evangelists. I believe all spiritual gifts to the body of Christ. They're gifts from Christ to His church. We operate on spiritual gifts in various ways, right? So if I receive it as a gift from Jesus Christ, the way I treat the gift is the way I'm treating Christ. To despise the gift He gave me is to despise the giver, right? So God has to give His people uh, gifted men, Acts twenty twenty eight. The Holy Spirit made you overseers of the church of God. God's actively involved in giving churches their leadership. We're praying about additional elders to add to us men. And we're praying the Holy Spirit will make that evident. He keeps giving gifts. So Christ says, however you receive someone that comes in my name is the way you receive me. That's quite a link. Don't ever forget that. So, not to honor what he gives is not to honor Christ. If you despise God's prophets and you stone them, you're despising God. And read the prophets, Jeremiah especially. You're rejecting my prophets. You're slaying them, and you've raised up some, and their prophecies are like straw. Then 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, when Paul is commending various people that minister to him. In verse 15 of chapter 16, he says, You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanas, Fortunatus, And Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men do not ever recognize. Thank you. This section's awake. Such men serve recognition. Let me tell you the problem I see in church. One side is personality cults, where we make idols out of preachers and pastors. And as soon as we do that, uh, they're set up to fall and will fall. Because you act like they saved you, act like they can keep you. Preachers don't need to be idolized. On the other hand, if they're God's servants, they ought to be appreciated. That was weak. They ought to be appreciated. You, You wait till God gives you some crooks and hirelings and you know the difference. I've been around crooks. I've been around hirelings. I've been around men that evaluate the church member by how much tithe they pay. You don't know half of what goes on. But if God gives you men that love the flock and are men of principle, you ought to do what the Word says. Honor them. Appreciate them. Send them to Hawaii. (laughs) I'll be coming back to the elders with that. Then look at 1 Thessalonians. Now, this is where we want to settle down and derive three points. Now we ask you, brothers, 512. In this church, you've got to flip pages. Are you there? Don't be using tech on me. Turn a page. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord. Notice that they're over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work three things the worth we ought to put on the men who shepherd us, the elders it's a plurality he's addressing here God always went at local churches overseen by a plurality of shepherds and he speaks of it in the plural here so their worth number two we want to recognize them because of their work their worth God established. You don't have to like them. Who made you infallible? You don't like a lot of things that are good for you. God-given leaders are good for you. Take it like spinach. Their work, and then the third thing, the wreath of reward that they'll be given. First thing, he says several strong words here. You ought to esteem these men, and uh, it, it's a plurality of them. But not just Rich Rollins, any man in any church, any men in any church that are willing to make themselves available to care for that flock, to uh, lay down their life, to uh, be God's gifts to a church will help oversee it. He said, honor such men. Th- that They are not just anybody they're worthy of honor. And he uses a superlative, uh, honor them beyond limits, beyond boundaries. Don't, don't worry about, I, I've seen people say, well, I would say something good to you, but I don't want to make you big-headed. Did you know as many men leave the ministry from discouragement as pride? We got guys on one hand, they're starting fan clubs, they're big-headed, and God knows we wish they would go away. There's other men who've never been treated very well i think i apply this to the whole church of god the majority of you will never have a going away service the majority of our sunday school teachers will never be honored like what we want to do today this is at a higher level this is uh, the oversight of god's church with us but i think of many of you you haven't been honored for the great work the dignity, the investment, the giving, the service you've rendered to the body of Christ. And don't, you, don't worry, Christ won't even let a cup of cold water you've given go unrewarded. He will see to it you're rewarded, even though no one else even knows what you're doing. He, he's not blind. But he tells, he's talking to the church here, you church at Thessalonica, I want you to recognize those men I've given to the church, I gave them the gifts for me to take care of you. I want you to esteem them and honor them superlatively. You can't hardly outdo the real recognition. And he says, you do it for two reasons. You do it out of the motive of love. We're not bowing to popes or making preachers popes, no. We're doing it because we love what they represent. Two, do it because of the work God does through them. Who will do the work? There's a lot of talkers. There's a lot of gainsayers. There's a lot of critics. Who are the people who get the work done? Honor those who get the work done. I think of 20 years ago, uh, Rich was really my architect helping us build infrastructure. And my brother David was the architect to build buildings. I worked with two men. We added Ted, but I just had Hazel and Donna. And my brother David was retired, and he became our guy that all the buildings we have around here saved us ours, a God-given gift. If he didn't do anything else but spit and get buildings built, it'd be worth it. And all you that didn't build this building said amen. You don't know what it takes, how much money, how many meetings, how many bankers, how many contractors, how many subs. And then Rich, I went up to his mom and dad's place when Harold and Bernice still had Harold. We went up, and he was torturous to me because he he got me the list of all the things I wanted to do. And, uh, man, I had visions in the night of things to do, visions. I think it's called Strangers in the Night, something like that. I I, just, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. And, and so we just got away, and we got on their porch. I'll never forget it. He said, well, I, here's the list of everything you said you want to do. And then he did something that was torturous. He said, when do you want to do it? I said, wait, wait, wait. I said, I want to do it. I didn't say when. I was being led of God. He, he'll nudge me. He said, well, do you want me to do it or not? Don't, don't pressure me. <laughs> when do you want to do it? Do you ever have people that do this to you all the time, say, man, we got to get together. Man, I've been wanting to get with you. I'm one of those kind of guys. I used to want to take everybody home from the church, and I'd hang out in the back, Carolyn would peel rubber getting away because she's afraid I'd do it. <laughs> and, and, and do it. But I would do this. Paul, we would love to have you over. Then one of my preacher friends, he started carrying a date book, and he does me this way. I really watch my words with him. We ought to get to, and he pulls out his date book. When did you want to do that? And the Man, I don't want to get there. You no, know, I, don't, I don't mean it now. i am each in heaven. I'm too busy now, but we ought to get together. We, we ought to get, any of you do like that? Everybody confess. Uh, we ought to get wind. And, and when that guy now, I just turn green when I see him because he's got that date book. Say it, honey. I'm gonna write you down, and you better be there. Well, Rich did me this way. When do we want to do this? You want to do that? You want to do? And we put dates to stuff, and the structuring started in. And it was a great architect, and he and David and I were the three musketeers for years, for years. Uh, You see, when you're not competent at a lot And I'm that kind of man God has always surrounded me with gifted men That can do it And I thank God for the deacons And the elders in this church I've always been surrounded with some godly help I have not been a solo flight I do good to find the book of Haggai I mean, so I'm hoping somebody could do the rest And God has given me such men So he says we ought to honor them. Uh, Notice what he says their work is. He names three things, and they're participles. They just come out of it just so naturally. He said, those who work hard, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Those are three things. They work hard, and it's a word to work to the point of exhaustion. I must say, uh, one of the great joys uh, I've had in working uh, around different ones on the staff, I had it, my sister, I had it rich, uh, being there, Uh, we we weren't clock punchers. We could put in 60 hours a week. It it didn't matter. We weren't keeping hours. Just do it because we loved it. We couldn't do enough. You know, you're never done uh, changing a life. You're never done in church work. When are you done? It's like raising a child. When are you done? I keep telling Deborah, quit coming home for money. Honey, I'm done. I'm done. No, I'm your daughter forever. No, I'm not. I'm done. Let Sean take over. Stay away. I know you're broke. Let someone else help you, you know. Uh, you're never done. They're your children for life, right? And all the depressed parents said, amen. amen. For life. They're your grandchildren, they're there, they're there for life. Oh, precious darlings. Uh, but you know what I mean. And so he says, we labor here. We, they're known for their labor. Uh, Spurgeon said it well. It was the book of Acts, not the book of talk. And in the Greek, it's the book of practice. Some folks have built empires between their ears, and they can't build a sandcastle. If it takes work, I'm out of it. My dad, being a farm boy, told about these guys that they had a lousy guy in the neighborhood, uh, wouldn't take care of his wife and kids. So being an Oklahoma Cherokee strip, they decided to do the Christian thing and hanging. And so they had him in the back of a wagon, And they were taking him, had him tied up, and taking him to hang him and get rid of the lazy guy. And uh, they were going along, and and all of a sudden, conviction started coming over them. And they said, you know, we really shouldn't, uh, you know, hang him. And one guy said, you know, I'd be willing to give him a bushel of corn so he can make it through the winter. And the guy raised up in the wagon. He said, is it shucked? Keep driving. (laughs) You know, some of you, if it takes work, it just won't happen. It just won't happen. He said, those who labor among you, what do they get done? What does God get? Oh, that Sunday school class, oh, it's great. It's that other story. The guy said, God gave you a marvelous ranch. And the guy said, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. God needs labors. God gets His work done through men and women who are available. Angels don't come down at the night and build buildings, build Sunday schools, build CE departments, and build an infrastructure of people. It takes somebody that will work to the point of labor. And Jesus told Ephesus, I've noted your work. He always acknowledges anything you believe in enough to work at it. That's the scary thing about this generation. They don't have much to believe in, so you find a lot of laziness. They have nothing that's kicked on inside. What's worth living? What's worth dying for? He's labored. All the men who labor taking care of churches, he said, esteem them highly. Who will do the work? Anybody can take the praise. Who will do the work? Second of all, they lead you. Leading is always hard work. Uh, Men that take the risk. I, I was living through a barrage of criticisms on, on different levels at the time Rich came. And uh, I know he used to always tell me, I'll take the arrows. You, you don't worry. I'll, I'll address it all. Because he was kind of omnicompetent and going to take all of my arrows. Well, I appreciate it, but several got past him. Uh, you know that place on my forehead? That's where the arrows hit, right there. Because when I was in school, when you're in the PT department, that was pastoral theology. Well, I found out once you're in the pastorate, PT stands for prime target. <laughs> Boom, hit him. And that's why you need godly men around you that can shield you from all the enemies that want to destroy preachers and pastors. Do you think the devil lets me have a vacation? I'm no martyr. Do you think other preachers are immune from temptation and trial? Are you kidding? Sometimes their trial can be the people that don't appreciate them. (laughs) What what have you done for me lately? You know, and that's why uh, men would want to die to be a pastor here because God has surrounded me with godly people. See, maybe the reason I've lasted, I couldn't last without you. Um, labor, and they've led. Uh, and then it says they, they teach. They, uh, uh, they do the word admonish here, but admonition is teaching that is aimed at changing you. It's not information. You know, bring the dump truck, unload the information. Now, this is a teaching that is aimed right at your mind, and sometimes it's translated warn, it's used of instruction, Raise your children in the admonition. The idea is mess with their thinking to change their life. Get into the mind. Correct the thinking. It's really cognitive therapy. Change the thinking that you might change the behavior. Warn them if you have to. Uh, Tell them not what they... Just how many Philistines there were, but you know what? You you've got a wrong attitude, or you don't treat your wife right, or you got a bad mouth, or I notice you you're controlled by covetousness. I want to warn you. You need to change that. See, it's meddlesome kind of instruction. That's why I love it. Charismatic in-your-face preacher. I love it. I most adults don't change from passive instruction. Who is allowed to get in your life? Leaders are supposed to. Leaders are supposed to be nosy enough to mess with your life. It comes from the word episcopas. They have the right to oversee and inspect. We had a friend named George Rutenbar that went, I think it was three to four days with a ruptured appendicitis. He was dying. And a man in this church that was wealthy uh, knew that it, they, they got a hold of him, and Dave Warren took his private jet and flew to the East Coast to get a doctor to fly him up to Michigan to be with George Rutenbar, who was dying. Five, He thought he had the flu. He had high pain tolerance, and so he'd gone on treating like flu, and he's four or five days. Now gangrene has set in, this man, and so they had him bleeding. The gangrene was pouring out of his body, and they flew in this specialist, and the man came in, and when he saw him, he came in the room, which was wretched. He, as George tells me, the man came up to this uh, incision. He puts his nose right down, and he just like that. And like that, his assistants, he named the bacteria. One, boom, boom. He said, you've got these two bacteria working in you. He said, I know what can cure you or kill you. I'll need your signature. You're going to die anyway. If you'll your sign will give you something, the only thing I know that can save your life at this point. George signed, they gave it, saved his life. He had the right to inspect the life because he was there to deliver him from death. Leaders of God have the right to inspect the sheep in order that we may rescue the sheep. They admonish They warn, they mess with your life. They're trying to save your marriage. They're trying to save you from pornography. They're trying to save you from going over the edge. They're trying to save you from ruining your testimony. They have a right to mess with your life because they've got the Word of God and they've been given to risk their life to save a life. That's what we're about. We're not down here handing out positive thinking for negative living. We're giving biblical truth that changes you inside out, that may rescue you from death. It's serious who wants to do it. Few, few. But he says, remember those who labor. Remember those who lead. Remember those who instruct. And if I was looking at other references in the Bible, remember those who care for the flock. First Timothy. Remember those who feed the flock. I think of what he says in Hebrews 13, 17. So obey and submit to leaders who have a sleepless watch, and it literally means there they have sleep deprivation from waiting on you. The idea is the baby's crying all through the night, and you've got to have somebody in churches willing to stay up all night with the children. I, uh, when I think about uh, pastors, uh, several things. One, I had a dad that seldom, he only had about three good pastors in his life. A lot of guys, just, they never pastored him. He was good for tithing. He was good to be faithful, but not really, never felt very valued. Carolyn's uncle was one of the greatest that valued him. But I just thought of uh, a flock. Jesus dies on the cross dies to purchase a church. And so he's got these 11 men, 120 make it to the upper room, 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, Acts 4, 5,000 added to the church. So now I've got a church up to nearly 10,000 people. And the question is, who in the world is going to take care of God's children in the world? Among wolves, Jesus said. And as I thought about uh, Jesus, and his dilemma, how will I care for my people while I'm gone? I thought of what parents go through uh, getting babysitters, you know. Uh, it's kind of interesting how our young mothers act when they first uh, break into the church nursery, like right here, see. When they... Uh, but she's seasoned warriors. She won't feel bad at all going to the nursery. But when you first have that child, we just see them back there. Can I, can I leave them? After about a year and a half, boom. And I got to hear the word. I got the word. The poor kid just throws off like a pass. Boom. You know, it's real tough. And then I know those the young couples, those early days, we want to go out to dinner. Who can watch the children? And in this church with a lot of young married couples, they're scrambling for good babysitters all the time. I sort of thought of the Lord Jesus and his sheep. Who will babysit my sheep until I come home? Who will take care of my people? The people I died for. The people that cost my life. The people that have been sprinkled with my blood, according to 1 Peter 1. The people I set apart. uh, The people that, uh, according to Ephesians 1, you are the riches of God's inheritance. And what that phrase means is taken one of two ways. People take it to be, I have riches because of Christ. But it's not what the verse says, and I hope to preach on it next week. The riches there is, you are the purchased possession of God the Son, and you've become God's treasured possession. Oh, if you only knew what God thinks of his people. See, you see their faults. You see what's wrong with Christians, but you haven't shed one blasted drop of blood to make them God's child, have you? You wouldn't die for me. You didn't go to Gethsemane. You didn't go to Calvary. God says... You are my unique possession that I secured through the death of my son, and you were precious to me. And here I see Christ, Father, the sheep that I bought, now I'm going back. Who will take care of my people? And they worked it out. We'll give gifted men, we'll give men shepherds' hearts to take care of my people for me. Angels don't pastor churches. Fallen sinners that have been saved by grace, Pastor. I'm sorry. If you want a better product, you go ahead and get them. Get it. Don't don't introduce me to your pastors. Angel number nine. I say, I just met liar number three. Mere men, Pastor guys, people, but men whom the Spirit of God has touched their heart and said, I'm not in it for money. I'm not in it for fame. I'm not in it for gold. I'm not in it for glory. I'm in it for God. God makes men pastors of his flock. God, you may not believe it, but Acts 20, 28, God makes men overseers of his flock. They're the divine babysitters until we see Christ. They care. They change the diapers of the saints that are young believers. They feed them. They protect them. They watch out. I was going to Israel one time, and I wondered what we do. Carol and I was going to make out a will. Who gets our children? Because we thought if we died, who would we want to? Who would we entrust to give the same values, the same memory of their parents? So we willed them to my brother David and Fran and build them for child support. They got out of it though, because we came back. <laughs> well, uh, I ask this What if you never get recognized? What if no one ever recognizes your work? Never such any worth? My brother Paul pastored four churches, most of them, he was treated lousy. No money, no recognition. A lot of hard work, and a lot of small people that nearly killed him. A lot of preachers nearly been killed. A lot of people don't like preachers. They just don't like them. They're good for marrying their daughters or burying their mother, but after that, shoot them. They don't know what to do with them. But you know what? Peter, the man that I'm amazed ever got to pastor, Would you want Peter for your pastor? Wait, wait, wait now. Would you want Peter? We're trying to find some elders, and so far we haven't found any perfect candidates. The only perfect ones are the guys already elders. Because we already jumped the hoop, you know. And I got to think, who would I want to be my pastor in this church an elder I'd go to, would I want a man that could publicly deny Christ three times to be on the pastoral staff? My background is when I knew him, I denied that I knew him. Whoa, 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 I wouldn't care if you got drunk, but don't tell me you denied him. Yeah, I did. Well, it's over. It's over. Matter of fact, it was so over in Peter's life, he went back to his old vocation. And he said, I can never be a leader in God's church. I'll do what I can do best. I'm going back fishing. You can't hurt sardines too much. And when he went back and was fishing, all of a sudden, he looked on the shore. And somebody had a fire going, and they were baking some fish. And the men drew nigh and of all things. Can you imagine the resurrected Christ frying fish for you? I've heard of southern catfish, but this is divine catfish. And Jesus is over there cooking, fixing. And they draw up and say, what is? And it's the glorified Christ. Come on over, boys. I'll fix you something to eat. I know you've been working all night. Feeds them. And after he gets through feeding them, uh, he said, by the way, Peter, you know, it's been nearly 50 days since my resurrection. I've been thinking about you because on the night you denied me, it says in the gospel, I looked at you and you wept. Our eyes connected, and you know the disappointment. I saw it in you. You knew you blew the opportunity of a lifetime. I know you did it, son. There's no denying it. But uh, while you eat your catfish, I want to ask you a question. What's that? Do you love me enough to take care of the sheep that I'm going to save in this world? Uh, I'm not asking you right now to be a martyr. He will be that eventually. I'm not asking you to give uh, over your business. I'm asking you, would you help me take care of my people? Oh, Lord, who in the world could ever answer that? He says, the man that can say, I love you, Jesus. I'll give you a way to do it, Peter way back. I'll be on the throne. You don't need to pastor me. You won't ever be put through this again with me. I'm I'm going back where thorns can't reach you, and and all this can't hurt me. But I'm going to ask you, do you love me enough to take care of my people? And I ask you, do you love Jesus enough to take care of his people, whether it's a junior boys class, nursery, on any level in the household of faith? Be good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. The light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. If you really got the love of God, don't worry about reaching people in Africa until you start reaching them here. Start near. Start near. Well, of course, Peter said, Lord, only you know. And once the Holy Spirit came from on high, God gave him the power to overcome that fear. Um, And Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, elders, if you take care of the flock of God that he's given you, not out of love for money, not out of being a little pope, a little lord over God's people, but being an example, when the chief shepherd returns, he shall give you the crown of glory that will never fade. I don't think he gives that to everybody. I think he gives it to shepherds, who in this life may never be paid well. Most haven't. When I read of John Bunyan spending 10 years in Bedford Sale, having his little blind girl bring him food to keep him going. Oh, in the past, oh, my, how men have been deprived just to carry the gospel, to be pastors of plain places. But you know what? The Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd, did you know that in this life, the only crown Jesus ever got was a crown of thorns? The chief shepherd never got anything but thorns in this world. But you need to note this. When he comes back again in Revelation 19, the text says there are many crowns on his head. We don't know how many, but there's many crowns. I don't know how many. Think of it. He will come back loaded with diadem on him. Where did he get them? He got them up there. He never got them down here. And so I say to Pastor Rich, I say to the fellow elders, I say to fellow laborers in this harvest, to pastor elders, caregivers to God's flock throughout the world, the ultimate wreath that we're working for, you only have the general pin on the medals. And that's on the final lineup day. Then he would do the payback. The famous story that uh, is as old as me, I know that, but it uh, it is marvelously true When I think of this matter of men who may have never been given proper due, we're doing something biblical, something godly, something we should abound in. Uh, I think of the uh, story of Theodore Roosevelt going on his safari over to Africa and on the return home coming into the port of New York Harbor and uh, coming with him on that was this little unknown missionary to Africa whose wife had died on the field and had been buried there. And the naive missionaries, they pulled into the harbor, hearing the horns, hearing all the jubilation. Some naive way thought, maybe they're welcoming me home. He didn't know the president was on board. So all the fanfare and jubilation, and here Teddy, no, tell him what all he had killed in Africa, all of that, and finally, the missionary by himself goes down the gangplank of which there's no one on the other end. The wife had died. The church that had sent him had grown old. There just was no one there. He gets a place at the Y M C A, and while there, in a spirit of dejection. He gets on his knees and he says, Lord, why is it a man can go to Africa and kill elephant and rhinoceros and water buffalo and half, it looks like half the city of New York comes out to welcome and I, a bearer of the gospel, come back and nobody meets me at the end of the game Why? How can that be? And he said, what he heard in his heart, the Lord say to him, it's because you're not home yet. Wait till you get home. There's when I'll put the wreath on you. That's when I'll put the crown. Because in this world, you may be hated and you may be unappreciated. Good old dad's words. Can you live being unappreciated, falsely accused, and misunderstood? If you can, Philip, Maybe God's going to make you a pastor. What a send-off. And so I say, Rich, this weak little flock in all of our foibles and weakness have at least tried to love you and Lou for 20 years, and we with honor, with no duplicity can say, we've loved your service, we love what you are, and we're going to give you a love offering, we're going to have a lunch and respect you, Because God made you a fellow elder and shepherd, and you have served well. And we simply say, may God's best be in front of you, and we forgive you for retiring.